0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Maryville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Hey guys, good to see you here today. Hope you're ready to go. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of John. We're in a series entitled The Gospel of John. Oh, isn't that so creative? Um, and so we, have, uh, we, we started a few weeks ago. We just finished the, the last part of chapter one last week. As you guys are finding that, uh, just a quick word on invest um, a lot of you guys have made commitments and you're giving toward invest. Invest is our um, our vision for what God has for us next. And so we're looking to buy property. we're looking to to build. and and so thank you for for those of you that have been giving, and we're continuing to get uh, commitments in. And so uh, I'm going to share a little bit next week just kind of where we're at with that. But I just wanted to say a quick thank you. Um, and so, Today is an interesting day. Jesus calls his first disciples this last week that we read. And then today he takes those, those first initial guys uh, to a wedding. Um, and not just any wedding, but it was a, a really—it um, was a wedding like never before. Jesus actually turns water into wine, and so we're gonna—we're gonna look at that today. And and I just kind of want to get us going today, just by thinking about some weddings. You know, how many of you guys would say that you are a lover of weddings? You love to go to weddings. You—you you watch on TV everything wedding, uh, Bridezilla. You're up, you're down for that, right? Okay, and so you're, you're up for that. Or say yes to the dress. Um, you love it, you can't get enough of it. Lots of, lots of weddings, uh, lovers around. I didn't see very many guys raise their hand on that one. But how many of you guys are newlyweds? Any newlyweds in the room? All right, Let, let's just do this. Let's just, I wanna give a gift to you guys. So I want the, the couple that has been married for the least amount of time. So has anybody been married for less than a year? One there? Am I missing? Okay, there's one there. How, how long have you guys been married? Okay, so how many months? I don't, I don't do mental math. Okay, eight months. How long? Eleven months. Anybody beat eight months? You might. All right, uh, Zach, would you congratulate them? Right. Way to go. You guys are on your way. Zach's got a gift card to Target for you. Don't spend it all uh, in one one sitting, but. You know, we love to give gifts to, to newlyweds, don't we? We love to give gifts to people that, that get married. Um, for me, you know, I, I'm not a lover of weddings. Like, I'll go to them and family, you know, we all, we're, we're all going to, you know, we do it. Um, but, you know, what's funny is, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if the people who, like, were getting married were giving us the gift for going to their wedding? I mean seriously because we're getting dressed, we're getting the kids dressed, we're driving in the middle of nowhere Tennessee cuz nobody gets married in churches anymore. It's always out in the middle of the woods somewhere. And by the time we get there, wouldn't it be nice as we left you guys just stayed at the back door and said, "Oh, thank you for going. Here's a gift card to Ruth Chris." You know? <laughs> hey, thanks for enduring that 3-hour slideshow of us as kids. Here you go. And it's like it's like that that's that's the way it should be. Now, how many of you guys would say not a wedding person. I don't enjoy them. I would wa- rather watch paint dry. I like it, my man. He's like, yep, that is me. All right. And some of us are kind of in in the middle um, on on that deal and how that works. But weddings kind of bring out a little bit in us that, that I think we'll We'll really relate to Jesus this morning on that. So what we're gonna see today is Jesus goes to a wedding. Now, the difference between a wedding back in the day when Jesus was alive and our weddings are are many, but one of the many is is that an engagement process, a betrothal process was at least a year long because they had to build a house, they had to prepare uh, just everything that that all of that entails. And so um, once they finally got married, the big day came, they would celebrate this couple for at least a week. So four five, six, seven days, a lot of times this this couple, and they would go to the bride's house and, and they would say all kinds of nice things about her and toast to her and, and bring her gifts. And they would go to the, the groom's house and do the same thing. And every time it, it um, also caused them to throw a party. And so they would they were eating, they were celebrating together. And so this was a, a, a grand event. The entire village, the entire community um, would, would gather and, and be there with this family. And so it was a big, big, big deal. Now, to run out of food, to run out of wine was a huge no-no back in the day. I mean, this was a very, very embarrassing time. And so we're going to see kind of why this, why this was important. But, but when you think about it, why in the world would this be the first miracle that the writer of John would write about? If you were making this stuff up, you wouldn't start Jesus's life with changing water into wine. You, you wouldn't go there. You would go to something like awesome, like he brought somebody back from the dead or you know, he healed somebody with leprosy, something big. Why in the world would Jesus do such a small, what seems like insignificant miracle? Why would he waste his power and his first miracle on changing water to wine? it just doesn't make sense? Does it? Why something so insignificant? Well, I think it is significant. And I think today we're gonna see why it is, but I want us to start in John chapter two. Let's look at the first few verses. Keep your Bibles open and uh, we'll keep going back to the text. Verse one, on the third day, There was a wedding at Cana. So this is three days here. We went from verse one, you know, to the beginning of chapter two. It's been three days as he's written his his story here of Jesus. And then it says, the mother of Jesus was there, Mary. Jesus also was invited to the wedding, wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come now. Very interesting thus far, they're at a wedding, they're at the reception, it's not a two hour reception, it's a big deal, Um, they're partying, they're having a good time, they're laughing, they're enjoying, they're celebrating this young couple who's gotten married and uh, Jesus' mom comes up to him and says, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, so, you know? It's like, so what does that have to do with me? You know, now when you first read this, it's kind of like Jesus is being a little rude. He's like, woman, you know, what you mean woman? You know, don't talk to me. You know, it's kind of comes across like that, at least in my mind, maybe not in yours, obviously. but it comes across a little bit, you know, weird. Like is Jesus kind of being rude here? Is he he's being a little short? But I think obviously when we read the Bible, we're Americans living in the twenty first century, you know, we're we have this whole concept and worldview of of, you know, women's rights and and um you know, we're we're free Americans. And, and so all, all of that, we could go on and on about our worldview. Um, but at the end of the day, what we have to realize is their context was much different than, than ours. And so um, one of the things that really is, is challenging when you read the Bible is there's a lot of things that they would have said back then and, and things that they did that just don't make sense to us culturally. And this is exactly one of those things. By saying woman, it would be kind of like us saying ma'am. Um, so, so it was not a term of disrespect. It was a term of you know, respect. It was, a, it was a way to honor her. And so uh, this was like, ma'am, what does this have to do with me? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. Now, for me, this is where it really gets interesting. Now, now, for, first of all, if you were to go to a wedding and you're dressed up and you've got the kids and the family, you've driven everywhere and they ran out of food, this would be upsetting for you, wouldn't it? I mean, it was, it was so embarrassing at this time. It was actually against the law. So if you ran out of food, if you ran out of wine, they could actually, you, you could actually legally get in trouble. Now this would be awesome in our day. I think the Jews had it right, you know? If you went to all that trouble and you went to a wedding and they ran out of cake, oh, I'm writing you a ticket, bro, you know? <laughs> It's like, we are, this is done deal. We, you're in trouble. Or, or your vows took way too long. You know, you're blowing the whistle, you know, shot clock violation. You know, we got to move on here. This is way too boring. It'd be great to have um, uh, the wedding police in our life. But, but in, in Jesus's time here, running out of the wine was a big deal. And so as we, as we look at this and He says, what's this have to do with me? He says, my hour has not yet, come. Now, this is where I ask the question, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> it's like, what does my hour has not come mean? And what does this have to do with, you know, running out of wine and being at a wedding? Well, to do that, we've got to look at some other verses in the Bible. So if you guys will throw up the first one. The first one I want us to look at is in John. And it's actually John chapter 7, verse 30. And it says this, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because why? His hour had not yet come. So something to do, his hour has something to do with being arrested. Let's go to the next verse. This is John chapter 8, verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So again, his hour coming has a lot to do with being arrested. Let's go to the next one. I think it's going to really unpack. Verse uh, chapter 12, Jesus says and answered them, The hour has come. So now here we are, same word, this hour, it has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So now we really unpack what this hour really means. And the hour is, in fact, when Jesus is going to be glorified. Now, how is he glorified? Well, we know that He is glorified in His death, burial and resurrection. Let's go to one more. This is John 13, this is the Passover feast. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own. Okay, so here we go. The hour here again points to, yeah, His death, but the hour had come for Him to depart out of this world. So the concept behind this hour is the death on the cross and his return to heaven. So this idea of his hour not coming, I think Jesus has in mind his death, burial, his resurrection, returning to heaven with his father, and when we as believers are gathered together with him in heaven forever. So when you're at a wedding, what do you, what's at least one thing that you usually think about as you're sitting in that wedding? Anybody want to throw something out? Love. Love. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's a good one. You think about your wedding, okay? If you're married, you'll think about your wedding. Oh, that's a cute flower girl. Remember our flower girl? She was so cute. You know? Oh, I remember when we did that. If you're single, what are you thinking about? I want to get married, you know? It's like, I want to do that. I'm going to do the sand deal because nobody else is doing that. That is so cool. It's better than the candles or not so cool anymore. I don't know. Uh, I want to do what they're doing right there. I want that song. I don't want that song, you know? I want that kind of dress. Ooh, that dress is horrible. That does not look good on her, you know? And so you're going back and forth and you're thinking about weddings. You're thinking about your weddings. Now, see, I believe based upon Jesus's his wording here on, on, on his the hour, plus a few other things I'll point out, that he's actually, he, he's thinking about something right now. He's thinking about a wedding. And the wedding is a symbolic union because in the Bible, Jesus is called the bridegroom. He's the groom. The church, you and I as believers, we are called the bride. And in after Jesus returns and his second coming takes place, we're gonna be in heaven with Him and we're gonna be celebrating with Him in something that's called the, this, this idea of this feast, of this, this, this lamb. And, and, and we're gonna celebrate this feast with Him. And so, so the idea and the concept I think goes much further than just, okay, I'm gonna be arrested. This is, this is my death. This is my purpose for being here. Like I'm providing a way for salvation to take place place. My hour has not yet come, but he's thinking about this. You see, as, as you and I understand the Bible, like all of the New Testament really points to this, this understanding. It, it actually comes from Revelation chapter 19. If you guys will put it up on the screen, I'll, I'll read it. But but Jesus in his second coming is going to unite himself as, as the groom with his church the bride. And we're going to celebrate at this, at this amazing feast, this amazing party. And he calls it the marriage supper of the lamb. In verse six, Re- Revelation chapter 19, it says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage, there it is, of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? You and I, the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And this is, this is Jesus's, I think, mentality He's thinking about this wedding. He's thinking about when, when one day his, his hour is going to come where he's going to have to die. But then yes, he's going to resurrect. And then one day he's going to come again and take us to be with him at this feast, this party, this amazing experience where there is no fear. There is no guilt. There's no shame. There's no pain. It's like we'll be reunited with every single believer in the history of the world. So those that you have lost at some point in your life as believers, you'll be united with them. And it's not gonna be like, oh, there's uncle so-and-so. I hope he doesn't, you know, I hope he's still not offended about what I said that last time I... It's like you don't have to worry, like there's no shame, there's no guilt. It's it's hard for us to comprehend. But this is the feast that Jesus is thinking. So he's at a feast and he's thinking about the feast. He's thinking about the party that's going to come. That's going to be the marriage ceremony of all time and the feast of all time, the party of the century, which is in heaven with his people. Now, that's pretty awesome. Let's continue as we see what he is thinking here. It says this in verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, this is a whole different sermon, but kind of good advice, you know, from Jesus's mom. You know, no matter what you're going through today, do what Jesus tells you to do, okay? I mean, that, that'll pretty much, whatever problem you have, we could just nail it down with, we'll just do what Jesus tells you to do on that. And then boom, boom, you're good. Verse 6 Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So let's, let's, let's look, first of all, verse 11 really tells us the whole point of story. the story. Whole, the whole point of the story is that Jesus did this to manifest His glory and His disciples believed in Him. So so at the end of the day, we wanna understand that this is for their faith. This is for them to see Jesus in His glory. And so what, what are some things that we can take away from this story, from, from what we can take away from the, the fact that this was a sign? And the first thing that obviously we see here in verse 11 is that it reveals the glory of Jesus. It reveals the glory of Jesus. He is manifesting His glory so that those that see it and understand it, understand who He is, which is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is in control of the created order. He, He has the ability and the power to transform things. And that's what we take away from this. He's revealing His glory. He's transforming water, measly little water into wine. So here's what we know. No matter what sin you've experienced, no matter what your background is, no matter how much you failed in life, Jesus has the power to transform you. No matter how much struggle and pain that you have in your marriage, no matter how many difficult situations you've experienced as a parent with your kids, Jesus can transform you. I mean, he he can transform water into wine and he can transform a sinner by the grace of God to be whatever he wants it to be. And so we wanna understand that his, his glory here, we don't wanna miss this, is being manifested. Now, we also don't wanna miss the fact that, that Jesus is the main attraction here. At the end of the story, this says that, in, in verse 11, that his glory would be manifested and that his disciples believed in him. I mean, that's the point. So Jesus is, is the point of the miracle. We don't wanna look at the wine as the main topic today. We don't wanna look at any miracle as the main deal. What we wanna do when we see a miracle in this life is point to Jesus, all right? So, so when we read about a miracle, the miracle is about Jesus, not the power of whatever thing that he did. So we don't look at the wine and go, oh, look at the wine. It's so whiny and just red. What we wanna do is we wanna to look to Jesus. We don't, we don't look at him and say, oh, Jesus, do another trick, do another one. Oh, we see miracles take place even today, and we want that to point us to Jesus. We want it to point us to His power that, that He can, in fact, transform us, and, and He will take the, the ordinary things in life and make them extraordinary. Now, in verses eight and nine, it talks about the master of the banquet. Now, the master of the banquet was the MC of the wedding. It's actually one word in the Greek, and it just means he's the guy with the microphone, you know, telling the DJ when to play music. He's the guy saying when the wedding party's coming. That's the MC, that's the master of the banquet. And basically, Jesus is saving that guy's job because he's about to run out of wine. You know, he's about to ruin this whole party. Everybody's going to jail, right? And, and, and this guy, Jesus steps in the gap here and like saves everything. Now, why would he do something as simple as change water into wine? I mean, this is so silly. Like, why? Why? I can't, I, I, I write my brain on this, like a why? Why this? It's like, Jesus cares about the little things in life. You know, you're praying and you're like, ah, he doesn't have time for this prayer. I know this is little, but... Oh, Jesus cares about every detail. He cares about the little things in your life. And I think it's the little things that, that build up into the bigger things in life anyway, right? And so, so whatever care that you brought into this place, Jesus cares about that. Whatever hurt and pain or frustration you have in life, it's a big deal to Jesus. If it's a deal to you, it's a big deal to Him. I think He cares about the little things here. And I think, I think it's a, one of the reasons why He actually does this sign is like, hey, I'm gonna do this because I care about this. So he's, he's revealing his glory. But the second thing that I think that we learned that I wanna to point to is that he, he shows, or it shows that Jesus provide, provides abundantly. Jesus provides abundantly. Now, these six jars here of water are holding upwards of 180 gallons of water, okay? So that means that Jesus isn't asking the question, how many more glasses do you guys think you need? A couple, you guys need a couple over here. A refill right there. He's like, I think I'll get it covered with 180 gallons, okay? They're good. So what I take away is like when Jesus, uh, when there's a need and Jesus steps in, like Jesus provides abundantly. When he gives his grace, it's not just a little bit of grace. It's over and abundant anything we can can even comprehend. It is is an an, an unleashing of his power and of his grace. When he gives, he gives abundantly. When he gives, he gives abundantly lavishly, which excites me, man. God wants to bless me. And that's my mentality. And that's my attitude. I'm not looking at God like he's, he's here to harm me and punish me every time I mess up. My view of God is that he wants to bless me abundantly. And you know, some of you have a bad attitude when it comes to God. You think that you've got to tote the line, man. If you step outside of that line, God's gonna crack the whip and just break it down and ruin your life. And it's like, what, what where, I mean, this is, this is Jesus, okay? And When Jesus blesses, man, he, he blesses abundantly. And so I want you to understand and realize that. And so, so why does he take these six stone water jars? It says very specifically in verse six, if you wanna look at it again, it says the water jars were there for the Jewish rites of purification. And so what they use these jars for is they would, they would use the water in the jars and the jars, you know, the water in the jars were were special. They were, they were, you know, it was a special type of water. It was kind of the blessed water, whatever you want to call it. And so that was the water that you would use to purify yourself. You know, even today they they do this. If you were to go to Israel, you would see this. And, And I was talking to a pastor friend who was there and and they were you know they were gonna wash clean up and they saw this pot of water over there they were just kind of they got their hand dirtier for some reason as they went to do that they're like oh no, no 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 don't do that that's the that's the holy water kind of you know special stuff that's a special sauce I guess I don't know so why does Jesus take the, the these jars well Jesus never does anything by accident you know everything is intentional with him and I think what he's teaching us here is again, as he's talking about the hour and we've already talked about his hour being the death, burial, resurrection and, and, and the reuniting of the groom with the bride um, in heaven. That's, this is what he's thinking. He's also thinking, okay, you guys use this water to purify yourself, but it's not gonna do it. The only thing that can purify yourself is the blood that I shed on the cross. So Jesus transforms the water into wine. And a little bit later, a few chapters down the road, we're gonna see that Jesus says, okay, this wine is a symbol. It represents my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus in turn, he's looking at this. He's like, yeah, bring those. This is a good one. Bring the, bring the purification jars. This water's not gonna purify you. What's gonna purify you is my blood, my death, my burial, my resurrection, And through me and through my grace, you'll receive forgiveness of your sins, a right relationship with God and life to the fullest. And oh yeah, heaven. And there's gonna be a big party in heaven, by the way. It shows how he provides abundantly. Remember the first miracle that Moses did? Moses transformed through God uh, water into what? Anybody? Blood, yeah. And isn't it interesting that now Jesus is transforming as his first miracle water into wine, which represents his blood. Now, you can't talk about this story, in my opinion, without talking a little bit about wine, okay? Because like, like, this is everybody's like question, like he's going to talk, talk about alcohol today. <laughs> and so it's like, that's not the point of the story, but some people in favor of point to this story and say, oh yeah, CCC, Jesus did it. Jesus and then the others are thinking, no, 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 no. It wasn't really wine, it was grape juice. And so Jesus made grape juice, which I mean, that's, that's silly. Or it was a different kind of wine. It wasn't like, it wasn't the wine, you know, that we have today and okay, okay, okay. There's lots of different arguments on all that stuff. But I mean, I just, I just kind of believe like they knew how to make wine back then, just like we do today. And so it's not a hard process. Well, not that I'm doing it in my bathtub or anything, but um, <laughs> you know, you just, you crush some grapes, yada, yada, yada. You got wine, right? And so... And so for, for us, it's like, you know, we wanna argue, you know, for or against alcohol. And there's like this whole big crowd that will want to do it and a whole big crowd that says it's a sin and you're, you know, kind of tote the line and you're going to hell. And so where, where do you stand and where do I stand? And um, first of all, let me say this, I'm not gonna give this justice today. Um, we're gonna post online this week, Romans chapter 14. We did this a couple of years ago where we talk uh, in depth about kind of uh, what we should do and how we should handle it. I'm gonna give you a quick synopsis of kind of where we're at because I just kind of feel like it's appropriate as we, as we look at this story because it's on our minds. It's, it's a question I think you're probably experiencing. So what I would first say is that uh, the Bible does not say it's wrong to drink alcohol. Um, the Bible does not forbid that. Um, the Bible does forbid very clearly over and over again that it is a sin to be drunk. And so, you know, that's where the kind of the gray line is. It's like, okay, well, when does that happen? One, two glasses or after steak? I mean, so, so you know, We've got to be wise, I think, as believers, if you're going to decide to partake and to do that. Obviously, I'm not going to teach you that it's wrong to do that. I will ask you to consider a few things, though, in um, particularly Romans chapter 14, which talks about causing another brother to stumble. And so that's really where, where I think we have to land. Like, this is a different culture today than Jesus's culture. There's no denying that. We've already seen so many differences just even in their wedding um, process compared to ours. And so back then, obviously, they didn't have the Coke machine that had 20 million different ways of getting. Coke, you know, you go. To, I love those restaurants, by the way. But anyway, so they didn't have that. They had water. They had wine. They didn't really have a lot of uh, other things to, to do. And and the other thing is, you know, th- th- it's it's well known that they just don't drink a lot when they eat. So the abuse of alcohol definitely was taking place in the time of Jesus. I'm not saying that. But if you were even to go over overseas today in that culture, when they when they drink water or wine with the, with their their meal it's a very small amount Uh, doctors actually say that's the healthier way to do it but in America what do we do we get a refill, you know, a refill. We're, we're, we're four, six glasses deep, you know, for dinner, aren't we? And the waitress is like, oh my gosh, they're drinking like a fish. And so can't keep enough on the table, right? That's just kind of our culture and kind of what we're used to. Extra large, please supersize that. Thank you very much. Um, but that's, that's not how they works. So it was a different culture. Um, we, we know that. And then secondly, when it comes to the different idea of culture, like we don't want to do anything in, in our life uh, or, or let me let me say it this way. We, we wanna be above reproach when it comes to our community. And so as a pastor, you know, in Romans 14, it, it talks about uh, all things are clean. So yeah, it's, it's okay for me to do that. If, if you were to see me out, you know, and I was drinking a glass of wine, it's okay for me to do that. I don't believe that's a sin. Um, but at the same time, it can become a sin if I'm going against my conscience, if I think that it's wrong and I'm going against my conscience. Or it could also be a sin if I am... am um, you know, leading somebody else in the community to think poorly about this church or poorly about Jesus or poorly about Christianity. Because if I was out drinking a glass of wine and somebody who was in our congregation last week, they were to see me doing that, they would say, oh, potentially, can't believe that the pastor is drinking wine. Oh my gosh. What kind of church is he leading over there? What kind of people? You know, we live in the South, so it's a cultural thing. And, and so I don't wanna deal with that. I don't want that to cause this church to, to, to stumble. And so, you know, I'm, I'm willing to kind of give up that freedom. And here's what I would say to you. I would ask you to be willing to give up that. To, to look around and say, you know what, if, if this is at home and I'm doing my deal there, okay, 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 okay. But out in public, I mean, maybe there's somebody in the community that's gonna see this and think negatively or poorly. And so because of that, pff, I'll give up that. The other thing that Romans 14 specifically talks about is causing a younger brother to stumble. And so if there's a younger, you know, less mature believer um, and, and they were to see, you know, this taking place, maybe they think we're abusing it or, or you know, and so they think poorly, or here's the thing, oh, it's okay, sweet, <laughs> let's go and, you know, and so I don't know that guy's background either. I mean, maybe he dealt with it in his past. Maybe he, you know, was an alcoholic that actually began, you know, was converted or, you know, worked through it or whatever. And so, so maybe that's always going to be a temptation for him. And I would say for that guy, it's probably never a good idea to, even though it's free, you're free to do that. It's never really a wise decision to make. Um, based on your past, and some of you, you know, would 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 agree with that. And so I don't. If somebody's dealt with that, I don't want to be the guy that might might encourage somebody to dive back into that lifestyle. And so we've just said, you know what? As a staff, even we've said, you know what? We're just not going to do that in public, and um, that that's going to be our deal now. M- some of our guys, they would never do it, period. And so uh, that's not the issue. The issue is just, okay, what's, what's the Bible say about it? And so that's kind of what I wanted to point to. What does the Bible say about it? Now, if you're under 21, it's a no-brainer. It's against the law, you're gonna go to jail. So, so that's, that's an easy one. Uh, Bible also says in Romans that we, we've got to uh, respect the authorities that are above us. And so we're, we're gonna make sure that, that we follow the law. And, and so that's an easy one. So, so by and large though, you know, we can talk about this all day, but, but what we wanna understand is that, that this doesn't really speak to, is it okay or not okay? That's not what this story is about at all. We have the freedom, yeah, but we've gotta be willing as mature believers to potentially give up some of those freedoms for the benefit of other people and their walk with Christ. And that's what I, what I hope you get uh, today. Now, um, the, other, the other thing we want to, to see is the, the actual point of the story. So if you guys would throw that, point on the the, the main point up. The point of the story is not the wine. It has nothing to do with the wine and is it okay, not okay. The point of the story is that this is a sign that points us to the power of Jesus and what that power can do in our lives. That's the point. The point of Jesus transforming water into wine is all about the power of Jesus and what that power can do in our life. So I want us to keep that in mind as we go to number three. Number three, if you're taking notes, is that this sign shows us that Jesus takes the normal or the ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. And now that's what I want in my life. I want Jesus to take my ordinary life and and I would love for him to make it an extraordinary life. And that's what I believe that he does. I believe that's what he does in this story. He takes the normalcy of the water and makes it one, he takes a normal act of obedience. Hey guys, servants, go get and draw out some water, you know, out of these, uh, th- these six jars, okay? Can you go do that? And out of the normalcy of, yeah, I can go fill up some water, Jesus does a miracle. When you look throughout the, the, the New Testament, we're gonna see over and over again, when Jesus performs a miracle, a lot of times there's a prerequisite, which is something that seems ordinary or very simple. You know, he he places mud on the guy's eyes and he says, go to the river and you know, go to the pool and wash it off, you know? A very simple touch of Jesus's garment and the lady with the issue of bleeding is healed. And so it's like all of these acts that we see these miraculous things happen are really on the heels of something that seems very insignificant. Go fill up some water jars. Now here's what I see from that. Like God is calling me to do some things and it seems normal a lot of times. It seems insignificant to do some of the things that I do. Write a letter, write a note, call somebody, visit somebody. You know, study. All these things seem insignificant. You know, at the end of the day, I want to do something big. God, like help me to create a cure for Ebola. You know, that's what I want. You know, so let's just do that. Or something big is always on on our minds. Like we want to be a part of the big, the bad, the awesome. And I think that what we have to realize is that we've got to be faithful in the little things. One of the sayings that Pastor Greg and I always say is that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. And so I'm going to be faithful in the little things. I'm going to be faithful in these, what I think are insignificant things, but God is going to bless them and use them for extraordinary things. So if it's in your marriage, be faithful in the little things and the little comments and the little things like, picking up your shoes and the little things like using kind words and the little things. And I believe God blesses to make extraordinary things. I think this teaches us that Jesus wants us to enjoy life. He, he is not the, the rule toting step out and I will beat you down, Jesus, that sometimes we think that he is, you know, we, we think sometimes that God is all about rules, but God is really about relationship. He's about relationship with us and, and about growing that relationship. And he wants us to enjoy life. He knows what, where we're gonna find joy. We like to take our path to joy, don't we? But oftentimes almost, let me, let me rephrase that. Every time we take our path, it leads us away from the joy that we so desperately want. And instead we, we've got to follow God's plan. What God says leads us to this joyful life. We think he's a bunch of rules. It's really a a God that wants us to experience um, his power and experience a relationship with him. Um, Another interesting part of this is that the master of the ceremony here in verses nine through 11, he gets this wine and, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the better stuff. This is the good stuff. Now, this isn't normal for us. We usually give the good stuff at the beginning of the party because everybody's like, oh, this is so good. And then towards the end, we, we give them the cheap stuff because they don't care by then. They've had a glass or two, you know? So he's like, well, you're giving the best. You're saving the best for last. So I think that's what Jesus does. He's saving the best for last. I know for me, um, as I get older, this becomes more of a reality. But you know, you used to think that, you know, your teenage years were the best years of your life. Or like when I was in my 20s, oh man, when I had my health and we were doing this or doing that, that's, that was the best time of my life. And some of you look back on those days and, and you're tempted to, to think that, maybe they were. But here's what I know about following Jesus. When we follow Him and when we grow in a relationship with Him, The closer you become with Christ, the better life becomes. So that means our best days are ahead of us if you love Jesus. Your best day, my friend, is ahead of you. Your best days in your marriage are ahead of you. The best days of your career are still ahead of you. I don't care how old you are. Jesus saves the best for last and he always does. As we pursue Him, He allows us to experience this. Robert Browning, a famous poet in the 1800s, he he wrote this poem, and I think it's becoming more and more popular today, uh, at at least the the understanding or terminology. But in his poem, he he writes, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. I think what he means is exactly (laughs) what, what this story teaches us and that, Jesus saves the best for last. You know, the wedding feast, the wedding supper of the lamb it's coming up one day. We're reunited with Christ and we will see him face to face and we will live with him in heaven forever. So my question for you is, have you experienced Christ? Have you given your life to him? If not, I encourage you today, before you leave, to go to our room right to the left when you walk out of this room called the prayer and care room. We'd love to share with you encourage you on what it looks like to follow and trust him for the rest of us like what i want us to do today is i want us to close by celebrating and just get a little taste just a little taste of what that final supper is going to be like Um, we call it the lord's supper it's a it's an opportunity for us to remember the death of christ we we take the bread as a symbol of his broken body we drink the juice as a symbol of the blood that he uh, shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus said every time we celebrate this and remember his death in this way, that we're to spend some time prior to this by restoring relationship with him, maybe confessing sin, confessing sin to a brother or sister in Christ. And by reestablishing that relationship, then we receive the bread, we receive the juice, we take it. So we want to do that today. And uh, with with this wedding in mind, with the future wedding in mind, we want to celebrate who Jesus is. Man, He knows how to throw a party. And uh, we want to understand who He is and live for Him and run after Him because in Him is fullness of joy. If you've got kids in the room, this is a great teaching opportunity for you. Um, if they've never received Christ in their life, they've not made that decision, then we want you to encourage them not to receive this right now and save this opportunity uh, later, hopefully one day when they do make that decision. Um, If our volunteers would go ahead and and get into position, I'm gonna pray. They're gonna pass out the bread. They're gonna pass out the juice. And then um, once you receive it, spend some time in prayer. Jessica's gonna sing a song over us, a beautiful song um, that will help us to reflect. And then when you're ready, you take it on your own. And then James is gonna end our services and, and send us out today. Man, I hope that God spoke to you today. I hope that this story is a powerful story that you take with you, understanding the power of Jesus and that what that power can do in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your truth. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the truth of your word. May we apply it to our life today and be encouraged by it. Lord, as we focus on the bread and on the juice that that represents your broken body, that represents the blood that you spilled for our sins, we remember it. We are thankful and grateful for it. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us closer to you. We ask that you would indeed help us to restore a relationship with you. And Father, we pray for those that are hurting in this room. May you fill them today and encourage them. It's in Christ's name, amen.